Hey everybody, it is Wednesday, April 17th, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azadike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, technically, this is sort of, kind of, a scrap story episode, but it's also kind of a news episode, too, because we are in the middle of the New York Auto Show, the last of the big American auto shows until the fall. Uh, The New York Auto Show, historically, has always been one that really focuses in on luxury cars, a lot more fancy stuff, and this year, wah-wee-wah-wee-wah, it has been Quite a bit different, I think, compared to what I expect. Uh, Really, I think the main thing I would say is this show really has felt a lot like more of a mix of what I would have expected from Detroit and from Chicago, at least with the breadth and depth of what's going on. Uh, And then the other big thing that's happening this week is also the Shanghai Auto Show uh, over in Shanghai, China, uh, that arguably maybe has taken some of the attention away uh, from New York overall. So on today's show, we're going to talk about some of the cars that I think are very important that have been announced both in the United States as well as in China. Uh, Interesting point between those two things is that a lot of the vehicles being shown off are going to end up being sold in both countries in the none-too-distant future. Uh, So there's a lot to go through. So uh, before we get to all of that, a reminder that we normally do the show twice a week, uh, a small show on Mondays or Tuesdays. Uh, seems to be becoming closer to Tuesday, Wednesdays now, but early in the week, and then the main news-oriented show on Friday. Uh, We do post this show on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Spotify, so much more for free. Um, So if you aren't subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're on a platform that asks for uh, likes or ratings or anything like that, make sure you do that. It does help us get seen by more people. Uh, And if you hear some things that you are interested in or you think others might be interested in, make sure you share it as well. I'd really appreciate it. So after a short little bump, we'll start talking about uh, this year's uh, New York and Shanghai Auto Shows with Volkswagen. So kicking things off with the North American, ooh, not even North American Auto Show, the New York Auto Show and the Shanghai Auto Show, uh, we're going to start at the end of the alphabet with Volkswagen. Uh, Volkswagen has been an, on an absolute tear the past year and a half, two years, I don't, I don't even know how long it's been, uh, with concept after concept and prototype after prototype and new product announcements, uh, all in the wake of making people forget about Dieselgate and think about all of their new electric initiatives. Uh, But the long-standing issue with Volkswagen, uh, not just in the U.S., but around the world, has been that uh, they never really got into the crossover and SUV game uh, the way they should have to remain competitive with, well, any other car maker out there in their normal competitive range. Uh, So they're kind of changing that. Uh, Volkswagen is going to be entering the five-seat crossover market. So think uh, something that's going to compete against like the Ford Edge, uh, maybe something like the Chevy Blazer, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, um, those kinds of SUVs. Uh, This vehicle announced in Shanghai is called the Terramont X. Uh, Now, the Terramont name might not mean much to us here in North America, uh, but the Atlas SUV, the seven-seater three-row crossover, is sold elsewhere in the world as the Terramont. So, more than likely, 
I would say probably 95% chance this will end up being called the Atlas X when it gets shown off here in the U.S. in the not-too-distant future. Uh, and it's really just a shortened uh, Atlas SUV. It loses the third-row seat. It's five and a half inches shorter overall. But more or less, it's exactly the same thing underneath, inside, at the front, all that stuff. Now, why is this important? Well, it's mostly because that five-seater two-row crossover market is arguably one of the hotter markets for SUVs and crossovers right now. Volkswagen not having an entry into this market really doesn't help them in any way, shape, or form. As much as the Tiguan, I guess, technically sort of kind of slots into that thing, the Tiguan's meant to be a lower-end crossover competitor because it's based on the Golf. Uh, this is definitely a much larger SUV. It's based on the same platform. If I remember correctly, that underpins the Passat. Uh, this SUV will be made here in the United States and exported all around the world, so that's pretty cool. It's going to keep some people working, um, and it's going to have uh, some interesting level of Volkswagen attention to it. Uh, but more or less, you know, think of this as the Honda Passport to the Honda Pilot in the way that the Atlas X would be to the regular Atlas. Not a crazy thing, uh, but definitely worth something worth noting that we're probably very likely going to be seeing a lot more of in the not-too-distant future. Now, as far as other Volkswagen news goes, uh, Volkswagen did bring an interesting concept vehicle uh, to the New York Auto Show, which is actually based on a South American pickup truck design. Uh, basically, they're announcing this small uh, golf-based pickup. It's a unibody pickup uh, called the Tarok, T-A-R-O-K, uh, that's going to be preliminarily designed for the South American market, but debuting it in New York seems to indicate that Volkswagen wants to test the water for a small pickup truck here in the U.S., now, the pickup truck market is hot right now. It is blowing up. Jeep's about to enter the midsize pickup truck range with the Gladiator, uh, their Wrangler-based pickup that kind of fuses the Wrangler together with the Ram 1500. Uh, the Terok, however, is going to be one step Below that, uh, this is meant to be a compact pickup truck uh, for the South American market. Uh, they tend to care a little bit more about the general idea of practicality, having that bed, still having a second row that can fit a human being, uh, but still be also being fuel efficient, being able to fit into smaller spaces and get out of nitty gritty situations that, you know, maybe a giant SUV or pickup truck isn't 100% necessary in most of those situations um, but it is built on the same chassis as the Volkswagen Golf uh, looks like it's carrying a small uh, output turbocharged engine not 100% sure if it's the 1.4 liter turbo or if it's the 2 liter turbo um, but it's going to be able to carry a lot of space and it's actually got a really interesting kind of mid-gate design if you remember that from the old Chevy Avalanche uh, it's where the bed uh, can actually be opened further by folding down the rear seats inside the vehicle uh, and gives you a lot more length. Uh, according to this diagram that I'm looking at, it says 2,775 millimeters, which is, what is that? That's a lot. I don't, I don't remember how that all works out math-wise. Uh, it's a different bit of weight, but, you know, or bit of length. It's enough to fit a surfboard for most folks, which I think is going to be pretty good. The other thing is that they're saying this truck can carry about give or take 2,300 pounds of payload, uh, which is, you know, again, not too bad considering it's a unibody pickup truck. Now, there's a lot of other things that I think could or could not be good about this, but I think the real 
key factor is that Volkswagen has heard that Ford is looking to, looking to do a car-based pickup truck here in the U.S. Uh, Fiat Chrysler has been darting around that idea for quite some time. Uh, it sounds like Hyundai might also be considering to get into this end of the marketplace. So I think they're just interested in not being caught flat-footed. And showing off these foreign fruits, you know, since a lot of people have been asking for the uh, Volkswagen Armok, I think is the name of it, their pickup truck from Europe uh, here in the U.S. I, th I think they see that there's interest, but they want to find a different market to compete in because diving in headfirst with those mid-sized trucks like the Chevy Colorado, the new Jeep Gladiator, the new Ford Ranger, probably not the best thing to do, especially when the Volkswagen name is still just a little bit tainted uh, over the past few years. But, you know, hey, I, I think it's cool. They used to do a golf pickup truck back in the 80s that has definitely been well-loved, to say the least. So, eh, we'll see how it turns out. Still working our way backwards, I guess, in the alphabet accidentally, uh, is some news from Toyota. Uh, Toyota has announced the new 2020 Highlander, uh, which is all new uh, in New York. Now, the Highlander isn't perhaps the most exciting uh, thing to talk about here in the show, but there is a trim level that I think is worth highlighting. Uh, the big overview on what's going on with the Highlander is that it is moving to the new TNGA platform that I guess technically has been around for a little bit. Uh, that same platform is underneath the Prius, uh, the Camry, and a few other vehicles, I think even including the RAV4. Uh, so it's benefiting from a stiffer structure that's going to give it a little bit more road feel, make you a little more connected with the overall driving experience, and the overall style of the vehicle has been updated to look a good bit more like the RAV4. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the most attractive thing I've ever seen in my life, uh, but it ex isn't exactly the worst looking SUV. TV I've seen either. Overall size, proportion, dimensions of the vehicle are up slightly, uh, but it's not exactly a massive growth. Uh, Autoblog was saying that as much as it is meant to compete with things like the Telluride, the Palisade, and the Ascent, uh, the Highlander is really still going to be a slightly smaller vehicle overall. Uh, Toyota seems pretty, pretty confident in their size, layout, uh, and what their customers demand, and, you know, I, I think they're probably right in some of those aspects. Uh, the Highlander has always been a very well-regarded vehicle in terms of quality and reliability, even if I would argue that they're very boring and perhaps a bit too safe in their overall execution. Uh, hey, if it works for you, it works for you. Uh, the standard engine in these vehicles is a 3.5 liter V6. It's the same corporate V6 that's been in a billion different things from Toyota over the past few years. Uh, just short of 300 square horsepower and torque, uh, it's definitely going to have enough juice to get out of its own way. However, the big news is that the hybrid system is returning to the Toyota Highlander. And there is a ton of crazy uh, fuel efficiency numbers that Toyota threw at throughout at us uh, earlier this week. Uh, so the, it's a standard, uh, at least with the hybrid, it's a 2.5 liter inline four cylinder uh, mated to their newest generation hybrid synergy drive system. Uh, total output is 240 horsepower. Uh, and it's got that really interesting all wheel drive system that debuted in the uh, new RAV4 where it's got a tiny electric motor that sits on the back axle that 
really just routes power to the rear wheels when it's needed and acts up when it's necessary, but it's not enough to get in the way of the vehicle doing what else it would otherwise supposed to do. Uh, with this engine, with this hybrid system, with that tiny little electric motor in the back, uh, fuel economy is really outrageous. Uh, that's going to be 34 miles per gallon combined uh, with the LE trim and 33 miles per gallon combined with all-wheel drive. Uh, really just a tiny penalty uh, by clicking that all-wheel drive option. Uh, but at 34 miles per gallon, that's a figure that really exceeds a lot of other SUVs, not only in its class, that midsize class, but even smaller ones. Like, I think that's basically blowing the RAV4 out of the water uh, in some respects, the regular RAV4. Uh, that beats, you know, the smaller Honda CRV. It beats the Chevy Equinox. Like, it's pretty impressive that Toyota's been able to pull off that kind of average. By comparison, just to compare it to the V6 model for a moment, uh, the V6 model would only do about 22 miles per gallon on average, uh, and that's presumably a front-wheel drive model to ape what the uh, Autoblog story is saying. Uh, that's pretty wild, I would say. Um, but really, you know, I think the interesting thing here is that Toyota's really taking kind of a step up when it comes to hybrid technology, applying it in a way that people could use, uh, people could benefit from. It's not going to act as a detriment uh, to you and that thing. Uh, previous versions of the Highlander Hybrid had been uh, adapted with a V6, uh, so this is really going to save a lot of fuel overall. And then one other interesting thing that I, uh, I wanted to touch on, at least about the Highlander, is the interior layout. Uh, the interior looks surprisingly modern for a Toyota. Uh, I don't want to say modern in the way that, like, you know, it's... it's uh, futuristic or uh, contemporary even. It just looks modern in a way that I haven't seen a Toyota interior look in a little while. Uh, the main figure on this thing is going to be the new uh, infotainment system that Toyota is uh, throwing up on the dashboard. It's a standard 8-inch touchscreen that does run Apple CarPlay, but it's not 100% confirmed if it uses Android Auto or not. Uh, that is a little bit disappointing because Android Auto has been uh, or will be rolled out to some other 2020 Toyota vehicles in the not-too-distant future, uh, but it's not really being said if this is one that's going to be doing it. Uh, what is also interesting about the screen is the weird way that it's kind of split into thirds. Uh, the left third is kind of like a vehicle information system, and then there's like this in-screen, like quarter circle or half circle kind of cut out that then is the rest of the screen. So if you're running Apple CarPlay, like in this photo that I'm looking at here, uh, Apple CarPlay system is that right third of the, or right two thirds of the screen. And then vehicle information is the left third of the screen, uh, which at least in this photo, it looks like it's showing the uh, four wheel drive, all wheel drive power output layout thing. I don't know why you would need that in a Highlander ever, but uh, it's an interesting touch, and it seems like a very technology-forward design for Toyota. Uh, I don't normally expect them to be this modern, especially with vehicles that are largely going to be sold to older buyers, more conservative buyers, uh, who generally don't like this kind of stuff. Um, but I think we're also kind of seeing the technology creep is a thing. Um, there's more and more Millennials, especially us old millennials, the Xennials, uh, we're buying these larger family vehicles uh, because we're having kids or we've got dogs or we've, we're doing stuff. Uh, there's going to be a lot more pressure on Toyota to make these interiors and these infotainment systems much more tech friendly. 
So I think we're kind of seeing the fruits of that come forward, which of course I think is very funny because if you look over at Honda, who's been doing this for the last, you know, five or six years, uh, they're probably just like, really? You think this is what's good and what's not? Uh, that being said, Toyota has two knobs on the dash uh, for you to be able to do knobby things. So they at least learned the lesson by not adapting first. But uh, overall, you know, I think the new Highlander looks pretty good. I think it's got some interesting uh, options for a lot of people. Uh, there really are including a lot of really good standard equipment that a lot of people, I think, are going to be pleased with. Um, but, you know, for me, in the size category that this thing's going to be shopped around in, uh, it's really not a choice that I would want to make. Uh, I would really much rather get, you know, a Volkswagen Atlas, uh, the Subaru Ascent, the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade, I think are hands down the best options in this segment uh, at this point. Uh, but the Highlander, you know, they've got, it, it's got its fans, it's, it's going to get good marks through consumer reports, uh, and you really can't fault that at all. And that fuel economy on the hybrid model uh, really is some top-notch work. Well, for the next little segment, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the Hyundai family of vehicle brands. So that's Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis. And they've had a lot of really cool announcements here in New York that uh, several of which I think have kind of caught, caught me by surprise in a few different manners. Uh, we'll start things off with the Genesis brand. Uh, Genesis has rolled out a concept vehicle called the Mint EV. Uh, if you head on over to Google, type that in, give it a look. Uh, this is one of the most interesting small EV concept vehicles that I think I've seen in quite some time, simply because it implies that Genesis is thinking about the entry-level luxury market, uh, which we really haven't seen any indication of before. Uh, Genesis has only done several concept vehicles since it became a brand a few short years ago. Uh, they had a really cool sports car EV concept uh, last year in 2018 that caught a lot of people by surprise. And this uh, mint EV concept really, I think, takes a more practical spin on what they need to be doing to capture more young people sales and to capture more sales of people who are looking to get into the Genesis brand in the first place. Uh, this is a small two-seat uh, electric vehicle that is meant to be an urban commuter car. Uh, not very specific on what the overall size of the vehicle is. Uh, if I'm a guessing man, I would say it's probably somewhere around the size of a uh, Hyundai Accent or a Kia Rio, uh, maybe slightly smaller in length, uh, but in terms of width and height, probably pretty darn similar. It being a two-seater, it is technically a coupe, but there are these small doors that pop up behind the main passenger doors uh, that give you greater access to the rear cargo area. Something that I think in terms of like visually I think is very cool and it does add some overall practicality to the vehicle. If there ever, ever was to be a production version of the Mint, more than likely uh, that would never be a thing that ends up happening. Uh, but really, I think this does ask an interesting question. Uh, with the death of the personal luxury vehicle being something that has been largely accepted at this point, uh, and by personal, personal luxury vehicle, I mean think of cars like the Cadillac Eldorado, the Chevy Monte Carlo, uh, you know, those large to mid size, or large, excuse me, medium to full size uh, luxury coupes or 
at least luxury in terms of as high as it can be with the Chevrolet. Uh, there haven't really been a lot of things going on when it comes to luxury coupes on the smaller aspect of things. Uh, Hyundai, I think, is maybe on to something because you think of a lot of young professionals, you think of a lot of people who do commute who would have money to purchase electric and well, not just an electric vehicle, but a luxurious electric vehicle, uh, there should be some level of appeal to something that seats two people comfortably and has enough space to put their stuff behind those front seats uh, that I, I think is really novel. Uh, this car does remind me a lot of the first-generation Honda Insight, uh, that being a two-seat not necessarily luxury, but a two-seat uh, coupe that, you know, was meant to commute in and get high fuel efficiency. Uh, this likely is meant to be something to commute in that gets pretty good electric range. Uh, it seems to be at least rumored or more than likely true that this is using the uh, EV powertrain from the Hyundai Kona. Uh, so more than likely, if this vehicle was ever to be produced, it would have about 300 miles of electric range because it is smaller and lighter weight than the Kona. But, you know, it would have more than enough juice to get out of its own way, be able to go on the highway, be able to commute in cities, and it would be able to park in some pretty small spaces. And it looks really cool. It's got an interesting name. Uh, I really hope that Genesis considers doing something like this in the not-too-distant future uh, because they don't have an entry-level vehicle, and by that I mean, you know, something to compete against the uh, Mercedes A-Class or the Acura ILX, something along those lines. Uh, I think they are missing out on some sales because when you're expecting people to drop 40 grand on a G70, uh, that, that pool that you're shopping in uh, is quite large, and the number of people to not choose the 3 Series, not choose the C-Class, not choose the A4, and instead go for the Genesis, uh, I think is a pretty shallow one. Uh, so getting something in that lower end, uh, especially an electric vehicle, uh, I think is going to broaden the appeal of the brand a good bit more uh, in the not-too-distant future. Now on to the sister company, Kia. They also unveiled an electric concept vehicle uh, at the New York Auto Show called the Habanero. Uh, we did talk about it uh, a few weeks ago on this podcast, and I had expected that the Habanero would be some kind of, uh, I don't know, look at some kind of future crossover uh, coming from the Kia brand. And in general, maybe it was kind of correct to assume that, but also this really seems like more of a brand exercise when it comes to design and technology. Uh, they're saying that it's going to be some kind of 300-mile range EV. Uh, it's got butterfly wing doors. It's got level 5 autonomy, which means it's going to be able to drive itself anywhere it needs to go. Um, and really, it's just kind of meant to be this thing of what kind of experience you're going to have as a driver, in air quotes, uh, in 10 or 15 years from now where technology is going uh, versus where we're at today. Eh, you know, so a lot of times these kind of concept cars, I think, are cool when they are showing off new technologies, they're showing off new ideas, but really, I'm, I'm not is blown away is what I thought it, it would be with this thing. Uh, the autoblog story on this does, you know, definitely indicate that this is probably a design exercise for the Kia Tusker that's coming in the next year or so. Uh, but I'm, I'm just not really excited in the way that I thought it was, I was going to be, uh, what this vehicle does remind me of in a weird way is the, uh, concept cars that were shown off that were made by GM, uh, in the movie, uh, 
not total recall, but uh, in the movie Demolition Man, uh, they were all these like collection of concept vehicles that GM had kind of laying around. They just went, oh yeah, here's some future vehicles for your future version of the 2020s of the United States. And yeah, this Kia kind of looks like that in a way that, you know, doesn't seem far off, but doesn't seem completely practical either. Uh, I wish it was a more down-to-earth vehicle, and, you know, I've got a weird relationship with concept cars when it comes to that, and I appreciate the ideas that are being shown off, but the execution just isn't all that great. So, still waiting to find out what the Kia Tusker will end up being. Uh, you know, that still more than likely is going to be based off the next vehicle that we're going to talk about here in a second. Uh, I think that's going to have some more practical, interesting conclusions to draw from, uh, especially as the crossover uh, and SUV boom continues to go on uh, ad infinium uh, at this point. Now, speaking of the vehicle that the Tusker would probably be based on, the 2020 Hyundai Venue uh, finally got shown off at the New York Auto Show today. Uh, the Venue is a sub, 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 sub compact SUV. It's a very small crossover SUV type thing, uh, meant to compete more with the subcompact likes of like things like the Honda HRV, the Nissan Kicks, uh, vehicles like that. Uh, what is interesting about the venue is that it is a more upright body shape and design uh, compared to the Kona and compared to many of the other crossovers in the Hyundai lineup. I think it is a very good-looking small crossover, and with that more square overall design, the interior space of the vehicle uh, has been largely preserved even though the vehicle is significantly smaller than that of the Hyundai Kona. Uh, the venue is a good bit shorter in length, and it's been hard to find specific specification specific specifications in the overall shrinkage of the vehicle. Uh, it sounds like it's five to six inches shorter overall, uh, but the interior space of the vehicle is almost exactly the same. Hyundai is apparently saying that uh, only, you're only losing about two cubic feet of interior volume, volume when it comes to the passenger area, and in the back of the uh, vehicle behind the rear seats, uh, you only also lose about two cubic feet back there as well. Uh, really, you know, it just seems like a more smartly designed subcompact crossover compared to a lot of other competitors out there, uh, but really the design... I, I don't know. I just I just love it. It's got this face that is wearing some of the stuff that uh, we've seen from the Palisade, from the new Santa Fe. Uh, but in the back, it really reminds me a lot of the Telluride. And, you know, I've talked about how the Telluride really just hits this spot in my brain that, I don't know, like it's almost like perfect in its execution because it does look square and truck-like, uh, but it's still round and modern in a really good way, and I think this venue really kind of strikes that balance as well. Um, it's got this really cool taillight design that's also really interesting. It's got like this Z-shape inside it with these sparkly elements that give it like a sense of life that you don't see in a lot of other taillights. Uh, I'm really curious to know if that's a taillight feature that's only in the top trim model, uh, which uh, presumably is the one that they're showing off here at the auto show uh, versus if you get a base trim model, if it's going to be a different unit. Uh, the headlights will definitely be that way, but the taillights, you know, hard to say what they're going to do. Mechanically speaking, however, what's going on? Well, because it is a some 
subcompact crossover. Uh, I believe it's based on the same platform as the Kona, but it is a slightly smaller version. That being said, it is using more of the Kia parts bin when it comes to some technology uh, with its new transmission. Uh, the transmission is the IVT uh, CVT automatic that Honda, or excuse me, Kia has been piloting over the past couple of years. Uh, it's been really well reviewed in the new Soul and many other vehicles. Uh, and in this particular Hyundai, it's being mated to the 1.6 liter inline four-cylinder engine that's lifted out of the Accent hatchback. It's good for about 120 horsepower. It's only going to be sent to the front wheels. Uh, this vehicle will be available also with a six-speed manual transmission. Be willing to bet it's only on the base trim model, uh, but it's expected to get about 33 miles per gallon combined, which I don't think is necessarily class-leading. I think that might still be the territory of the Nissan Kicks, uh, but it's definitely going to be up there on the higher end of what you can get. Now, speaking of the Hyundai Kicks, uh, I think that is a really interesting comparison here. Uh, or excuse me, not the Hyundai Kicks, the Nissan Kicks. Uh, I have talked about it on this podcast. I've reviewed it on this podcast. It is a small crossover that I really genuinely like a lot more than I probably should. Uh, the Nissan Kicks really kind of gets out of its own way because it is such a lightweight vehicle. Uh, being based on the same chassis as the Nissan Versa and Versa Note, uh, there's not a lot going on underneath it, uh, but Nissan really cut a lot of weight out of the vehicle with, you know, really lightweight doors, lightweight panels, uh, you know, a lot of interesting construction choices inside uh, that, you know, really makes it a fun car to drive, if perhaps maybe a little less luxurious than it could have been. Uh, but it's a smart vehicle. And considering that you can fully option a Nissan Kicks with every single bell and whistle included for about 23 grand, it really is a steal too. And this Hyundai venue really seems to be going for that. But in the Hyundai fashion, it's going to be including a lot of good standard equipment. It's going to have a standard 8-inch touchscreen that runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, there's going to be available navigation, heated seats, a snow driving mode to get you to go places, uh, even though it is front wheel drive only. It's going to have a ton of safety technology, uh, the usual stuff you'd uh, consider like forward collision warning, avoidance assist, lane keep assist, uh, all that other jazz. Um, so, you know, it's it's really going to be a much more luxurious competitor compared to the Nissan Kicks. Uh, speaking more on the styling aspects, uh, this Hyundai is also using a lot of the newer styling techniques uh, that we saw previewed by another vehicle that we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but it's really this new look of Hyundai that I think is reserved in a good and attractive way. It's laid out really nicely. You can tell that some thought was put into the overall design. And I think maybe to talk about the new infotainment system for one more minute, uh, it, it looks really great. That 8-inch screen is up there all by itself. It's losing the buttons that go down each side of the screen. Uh, as much as I don't really care for that in terms of functionality, at least visually, it does look much better. Uh, but there's still plenty of knobs and dials for you to turn that make it so, you know, you're not running everything through a screen. I think Hyundai was smart to do that. Uh, they've also got these really interesting seats as well that have like a cloth back, but like leather sides. That at least visually looks really great. Um, curious to know what the overall quality of it would be. Um, but really, you know, really impressed. And the overall look of the vehicle today, uh, you know, 
I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to see this thing in person. So when is it coming out? Hyundai's saying by the end of 2019. More than likely, it's going to be 2020. Uh, so somewhere November, December, early January, probably, uh, you'll start seeing a lot more out on the streets. So really excited to see this one come to market. Now, speaking of another Hyundai that I am excited to see come to market, that is the new 2020 Sonata. Uh, if you haven't seen the photos of the new Sonata that uh, debuted a few weeks ago, um, you know, you're missing out. Uh, I've continued to be wowed by what Hyundai is able to do. The evolutions in style and technology on each of their vehicles has been great. And what I love about the new 2020 Sonata is that it's taking some styling cues from car makers like Aston Martin uh, that fold it into this Hyundai design language that looks very premium and sporty, but also doesn't put it out of reach to normal buyers. And uh, kind of adding to that greatness of the overall layouts of their product portfolio is that they are going to be adding an N-Line model to the Sonata brand uh, later in the year, early, early 2020. Now, if you don't know what the N-Line is, think of it like the uh, Audi S-Line, where you get some of the S technology in a more normal, in air quotes, vehicle. Um, they are going to be a good bit more sporty than the standard car, but not a full-out performance model. In this case, for Hyundai, the N performance brand, so like the Veloster N or the i30N, uh, the Hyundai Sonata N-Line is going to be using a 2-liter turbocharged engine. It's probably going to be producing somewhere around 260-280 horsepower power somewhere in between uh no all-wheel drive automatic only um but it's gonna probably turn some heads when it comes to the performance aspects of the vehicle uh the veloster n has been very well reviewed when it comes to performance and capability uh and overall execution and i think some of those elements being pushed into the sonata are going to be really welcome and really put this car in an interesting position i think against the mazda 6 uh, as much as I like the Mazda 6, which I think is a great car, Mazda's been kind of moving up market in its overall execution. And if this car, this Sonata N-Line, ends up being a more affordable performance sedan, uh, I think it makes itself an interesting vehicle choice to go against the Mazda because as Mazda moves up market, that affordability end of performance uh, is going to start going away. And uh, somebody's got to grab it. And it's cool that Hyundai is thirsty enough to get in there and make some moves. So again, really excited to see this car in person. It sounds like it's going to be out before the end of the year. Uh, so we will see what happens coming out of Hyundai and Kia in the not too distant future. All right, last segment of car news, car announcements and other things. So I'll do my best to kind of keep things moving. And first off, we'll start with Cadillac. Cadillac pulled the wraps off the CT5 sedan uh, in New York, and more or less, it's exactly what we thought the CT5 would be. Uh, Buick, or not Buick, but Cadillac had shown off the vehicle uh, in other press images and other announcements uh, not that long ago. Uh, more or less, the CT5 is replacing the CTS in the family. Uh, Style-wise, uh, it is a smaller version of the CT6, although it is not riding on the Omega platform. This is using an up updated version of the Alpha platform that was under both the CTS and the ATS. 
the CT5 is kind of being intended right now to replace both the ATS and CTS. Uh, so it is a little bit smaller than the outgoing CTS, uh, but definitely a good bit bigger than the outgoing ATS. Uh, if you think back to the way that the CTS used to be positioned in the Cadillac lineup, uh, being a semi sorta three series and five series competitor, uh, Cadillac's basically going back to that with this model. Uh, engine choices are pretty much the same as the outgoing cars. It's got a standard 2-liter turbocharged engine that is losing about 39 horsepower, but gaining a little bit of torque. Um, it's going to be enough to get out of its own way. It's going to be available in uh, rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Uh, no commitment was made on a manual transmission. My guess is GM won't do that. Uh, GM is also going to be offering the corporate 3.6 liter V6 in this vehicle. Uh, three, over 300 horsepower, uh, rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Again, not a huge surprise there. It sounds like this vehicle will likely be slated to get a twin-turbocharged V6. Whether or not it's going to get the Blackwing twin-turbo V8 remains to be seen, but I would be bet willing to bet that a V-Sport model will have the twin-turbo V6, and more than likely uh, a full-on V model will get that Blackwing V8 in some capacity uh, a year or two down the road. Uh, but really, you know, I think... Design-wise, it looks really good. I really am a fan of the look of the CT6, uh, and boiling it down to the C5, I think still works really well. The interior appointments look a lot closer to what we've seen in the X-T4 uh, that came out not that long ago. I, I, I'm a fan of the way that those interiors look in the new Cadillacs. I'm not a big fan of the material execution, uh, but at least in the show cars, things look to be put together pretty well. So definitely interested to see what's going on there. Uh, what I'm not so interested in is the naming structure that Cadillac is going to be using for these cars. Uh, obviously, they're all going to be called the CT5, uh, but they're doing the dumb numbering thing uh, that Audi and so many other brands have gone to. So they're going to be, what is it? It's the CT5 350T, which is going to be the are the turbocharged 2-liter model. It's indicating how much torque there is, but I think it's in newton meters. And then it's going to be the CT5 550T, which is the V6, which again, I think is in newton meters. And boy, oh boy, does that not make any sense to anyone at all at any point ever in the history of ever. I wish Cadillac would go back to named vehicles. I wish they would just leave the engine size on it. It's easier to understand. I don't know where they what stuff they think this is going to help, but ugh, at least the product is good. Uh, we're excited about that, just not so good on the naming front. Speaking of long names and expensive prices, uh, Mazda has finally pulled the wraps off the CX-5 diesel. Uh, the CX-5 diesel has a very long name, which is the... Uh, Skyactiv-D 2.2, um, that engine is going to produce 168 horsepower and a pretty fat 290 pound-feet of torque. Uh, Mazda is estimating that in the CX-5, fuel economy figures are going to be 27 miles per gallon in the city and 30 miles per gallon on the highway, which would be 28 combined. Uh, not exactly an impressive figure, given the other competitors that are going to be in the segment, but given that it is the only diesel available in its competitive class for the most part, uh, it's kind of in a league of its own. 
Mazda is saying that they're really looking to move a lot of their vehicles up market, like we were talking about before. Uh, and the CX-5, I think, is going to be a good example of doing that. Uh, they're also saying that this CX-5 diesel is going to start at $41,000. Now, while you take a moment to get your jaw up off the floor, uh, it's important to note that Competitors of this vehicle do include the Toyota RAV4 Hybrid, and the RAV4 Hybrid is getting knocking, or at least knocking on the door of 40 miles per gallon. Uh, and I really don't see why, if you're giving a shit about fuel economy, why you would pick the diesel over the hybrid in this situation. It it seems very perplexing to me. Uh, I mean, granted. This diesel engine has been in development for what feels like forever. I'm excited that Mazda is finally bringing the diesel option to the U.S., uh, but with all the option, or problems that diesels have had, uh, whether it's from uh, Volkswagen and Audi to Porsche and uh, BMW and Mercedes and even GM and Fiat and so many others, uh, I, I just hope it's not a drop in the bucket and nobody cares. Um, but at the same time, you know pricing this thing out of competition with other things that get better fuel economy doesn't exactly seem like the smartest thing these days. So we'll see. As a luxury vehicle, it'll be its own kind of thing. Now, speaking of semi-luxury vehicles in a weird way that compete with Mazda, uh, over at the Shanghai Auto Show, Buick pulled the wraps off the Encore and Encore CV. Nope, it's GX. Those are the letters. Uh, the Encore uh, and Encore GX are really just kind of the same thing, but one is slightly larger than the other. Uh, these are going to be coming out at the end of the year or early 2020 in China, uh, where the Encore is a very popular vehicle in the same way that it is a very popular vehicle here in the U.S. What's always been weird to me about the Encore is that it has gotten such good reviews from a lot of automotive outlets when its sister vehicle, the Chevy Trax, generally has not. Uh, where I got lost in translation, I don't really know. Um, but this new model does seem to be addressing a lot of the things that I think were wrong with the current Encore. Uh, namely, style-wise, it is adapting a lot more of the Buick design language that I think looks fantastic. Uh, it get, has a very regal-like front end, uh, but it still maintains uh, the more uh, nuanced looks of the up graded uh, Buicks as of late on the back end. Uh, Interior-wise, they're not really showing anything, um, but I'd be willing to bet it looks like a typical GM interior. Uh, so a lot of teal light uh, buttons and things like that. Uh, but the big question is whether or not we're going to get the base trim or regular smaller Encore, or if we're going to get the larger Encore GX. Now, it's not really said how much larger the GX is than the regular Encore, um, but it does look a little bit bigger. Yeah, I don't know. Bigger is better, but I don't know how much space uh, Buick wants to put in between the uh, Encore and the, uh, what is it, the Envision, the Chinese-made uh, crossover. So I think we're going to have to see there. Uh, but it is cool to see that something new is coming down the pipe, you know. I've gotten a little bored with some of the stuff that GM has as of late. Uh, so this looks like it's going to be fixing that to some extent. Uh, the Buick Velite. Uh, is something that is finally coming out, and I have to say that I am uh, pretty excited about it. It looks like it is going to be an interesting, um, what do you want to call it? The uh, EV market in China is really where it's going, and it looks kind of 
pushing this as a weird Subaru Outback competitor, but it's still an EV that's a Buick, so it's kind of luxurious, but it's also affordable. I don't know, they're, they're sticking it in a weird spot. So the Buick Velite uh, is a, kind of like a high-riding EV type thing, uh, but it's front-wheel drive. It's got an electric motor that puts out about 114 horsepower. It's got an unspecified battery size, but the total range of the vehicle is going to be somewhere north of 140 miles. Uh, with the Chinese tax incentives with the purchase of this vehicle, uh, it's going to run about $25,000 if you do the math between the Chinese currency and American money, uh, which means that in the U.S. it'd probably end up being about a $30,000 vehicle. Uh, overall, you know, I like the look of the car, but I think it's a little too, uh, what's a good way to say this? A little too Eastern in its overall design and execution, uh, than it would be necessary for being a good vehicle for the U.S. So we probably won't ever see the Velite here in the United States, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it would never, ever ever happen because as Opel has left GM uh, and many Buicks were uh, Opel products that were exported here to the U.S. with the Buick emblems on the front, uh, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of the Chinese developed Buicks exported to the U.S. Uh, still with that same Buick emblem on the front and uh, maybe eventually the Velite will be one of them because I mean GM does not have a lot of electric vehicles. They've got to expand that program within the company uh, and I think Buick is definitely ripe for some kind of opportunity there. Um, Buick's been trying to cater, just like Genesis, uh, to a younger buyer and, uh, you know, budget conscious, budget conscious younger buyers who want something that's somewhat luxurious but not crazy. I think a Buick is a decent alternative, so we'll kind of see what happens there. Last up out of all the news is, uh, well, a surprising one, at least to me, uh, Coming out of the Shanghai Auto Show, uh, Nissan pulled the wraps off the Sylphie. Uh, the Sylphie is basically what the Sentra is outside of the United States. And more than likely, the Sylphie is going to be what the new Sentra becomes here in the U.S. Uh, probably later in 2019 or early 2020. Uh, the new Sylphie adapts the styling language of the uh, Sentra, or excuse me, not the Sentra, the uh, Altima basically verbatim like i i mean if you were to show me photos of this car and say what is it i would have said an ultima uh without knowing the overall size of the vehicle it's stunning how similar the two look uh and overall execution i have to say i'm really surprised uh the Sentra is not exactly a good car uh today uh you know a lot of automotive journalists say that it's hard to find a bad car on sale uh, in the market because you basically can't exist as a company if you build bad cars. And the Sentra, maybe with exception to a couple of other vehicles, uh, is about as close as you get to a bad car. This new one uh, is a little bit larger. It's much more sleek. It's much more modern when it comes to design and technology. Again, if you've been in a new Altima, you've got a pretty good idea of what this Sentra will likely look like. Uh, in some of the press photos that they're showing, uh, it looks like that it's like a fully optioned luxury model uh, that's in these photos. The seats have like this quilted leather uh, appearance to it with some fake carbon fiber trim. Uh, they've adapted this uh, three ring circle vent technology that uh, started off in Audis and then went in the Chevy, or Chevy Camaro and now it's made its way to Nissan. Um, 
I'm really impressed with the overall look and layout of this vehicle. Um, it really feels like next-gen Nissan technology, and it really is pointing toward a brighter future for the brand, even if the overall driving experience of these cars maybe isn't quite where they should be, you know, especially with the Sentra, where historically it's been a very fun car to drive. Uh, this one definitely just looks like it's going to be a much more luxurious commuter car uh, with much nicer appointments. Now, whether or not we're going to go as long as we have without an all-new Sentra, again, you know, I think Nissan's pretty good at stretching these designs and these engineering exercises out as long as they can. Uh, we'll see what happens, but, you know, this has got a full safety suite. It's got the new infotainment system with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Uh, it's got the new steering wheels, the new other things like this seems like a pretty good up-to-date competitor to the Civic and the Corolla. And, uh, you know, if if the Honda takes it sleeping, I, I think uh, they're going to be in trouble because this looks like a pretty darn good car heading into 2020. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isleyke, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN, and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. As I said at the top of the show, you can also listen to this podcast on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So make sure you subscribe, uh, give us a rating if they ask for it, and share it if you think there's something worth sharing. I really, really appreciate it. Overall, guys, I have to say I'm pretty impressed with the new vehicle announcements that came out of both New York and Shanghai this year, uh, and it really kind of wraps up uh, most of the big auto show news that we're probably going to have for a little while. I think we've got, what, the Paris auto show coming up, and maybe it's one of the ones in Germany, Berlin? Uh, yeah, those ones, you know neither here nor there for the United States when it comes to automotive news, but I'm sure some interesting luxury vehicles will be announced there. So we'll keep you up to date as best we can when uh, other announcements happen. And hey, if any other announcements happen tomorrow at the New York Auto Show or Shanghai or any other ones, uh, I'll make sure to throw them into the show on Friday. Well, anyway, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of the week, and we will see you very soon on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then. Thank you.